So when I was in college, uh, I went to the University of Texas and I lived in the dorms my first year. And I lived in Jester Dormitory, which is, I think at one point it was the largest dormitory in North America. I made a lot of friends. Uh, it helped that I didn't have any friends going to college. I was coming from California, so I really, I really didn't have any friends going to the same school as me. Uh, and, and in the dorms, you share bathrooms and uh, you... you eat in the, in the dining room together, and I, I made a lot of friends. Basically, everyone I met was a potential friend. And so as the semester started, uh, you know, I started hanging out with a few people more and more. Uh, one of those people, uh, John, was a, a friend of a friend of a friend who did not live on campus, but he would come to the UT campus to take classes, and then he needed a place to hang out between classes. And so we told John, John, whenever you have time between classes, instead of uh, just going and sitting by yourself in the library or instead of going and sitting in the, the dining hall uh, all by yourself, why don't you just come up to our room? You, you can kind of make it your second home if you want. And he took us up on that. So John started coming around our room pretty much every day. And, and what I learned about John is he was obsessed with bodybuilding. Right, as you can tell, not like me. So, so John was obsessed with bodybuilding. He would work out every day of the week, uh, and he was very particular to make sure that he also would eat a lot of protein. His favorite uh, protein source was tuna fish. And so John, I, I kid you not, in addition to every other meal and supplement he ate, uh, protein bars and stuff, he would eat an extra can of tuna fish about every day. And so, you know, it didn't really bother me at first. I don't mind tuna fish. I don't like to eat it a whole lot, but I, I mean, it's okay. It didn't bother me too much. And then uh, after a few days, I started realizing that there was a weird smell that just started hanging around. And, and what I found out, it actually wasn't the tuna fish. It was the guy eating the tuna fish. So I didn't know John very well, and I thought, well, maybe this is just a one-off thing. Maybe he had just worked out, because he smelled kind of, it was like a funky smell. Uh, I, maybe, you know, college students don't always have the best hygiene habits, right? So I thought I'd give him the benefit of the doubt, but after a few more days, the smell continued, and after another week, the smell was still there, and it was all I could do to back away from John whenever he would come towards me, I would say, oh, that's great. Like, how can we talk where there's at least five feet between us? Oh, I, I didn't want to say anything. But as I got to know John more, and, and I realized I don't think I'm the only one that smells this thing. Other people had made comments to me, and it began to dawn on me that this poor guy was walking around smelly, and no one had talked to him about it. And I realized, oh no, I, I'm going to have to talk to him. So John came over, and I pulled him aside, you know, no one, so make sure no one else could hear or anything. I didn't want to humiliate him more than I had to. I said, hey, man, I need to talk to you about something. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but uh, sometimes you, you smell like tuna fish. And he said, oh, like when I, you know, like right when I'm eating tuna fish? I said, no, like most of the time, yeah, pretty much all the time. And he got this really worried look on his face, and he said, well, like, even right now? I was like, yeah, that's why I'm talking to you, John. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I just thought maybe you want to know. And he said, oh, no, I just spent this time, I just spent a bunch of time in this girl's dorm that I really like. <laughs> I said, well, 
sorry, man, I can't help you with that, but I do think that if you stop eating as much tuna fish, the smell thing will go away. And he said, thank you so much. I mean, that wasn't the very next thing he said, but he eventually, he, he thanked me. Uh, and what he said is that uh, he, he would much rather know so he can do something about it. Now, no one likes to be in conversations like that. No, it's not fun on either side. No one likes to have to bring up something really uncomfortable to someone. And no one, no one that I know of, likes being the person where someone comes up to you and tells you a really uncomfortable truth about yourself that you just don't want to hear. No one likes that. But conversations like that are sometimes necessary. We are on the last week of a series that we're going through called The Heart Principles. Uh, we've gone through the first four. Hear and understand me. Even if you disagree, don't make me wrong. Acknowledge the greatness within me. Remember to look for my loving intentions. And today, we're focusing on this last one. It is, tell me the truth with compassion. Now, if you remember, if you've been here for, for part of the heart series, you've heard this before, but these heart principles are the unspoken requests that everyone makes of people when they're in relationship. The goal of this series is to learn how we can be in relationship with one another better because we believe that as Christians, God has called us to have relationships that are sanctified, that are made holy, that our being a Christian, our following Jesus, should not just affect our going to church on, not Sunday morning, I guess Saturday for y'all. It should affect the way we relate to people, right? The key scripture we're using through this series is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I'm going to read this scripture uh, to start us off. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we're thankful that you are here with us right now. We adore you. We worship you. And like that last song, we proclaim, God, that we need you. Not just once a week. We need you every single hour. Come and speak to us right now from your word. Come and purify us. And I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts to hear something that would help us to grow into the image of Christ and how we live. Come and have your way in our relationships and make us a people who are able to love one another uh, even when there is conflict and disagreement. We pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so we're talking about the T in the heart principles. Tell me the truth with compassion. And, you know, there's some notable parts throughout scripture that talk about the need to tell the truth and the need to uh, consider what our words do to one another. Uh, there's actually a lot of those places in Ephesians 4 right after the passage I just read. So I wanted to just pull three of those up because uh, I thought they were relevant to tell me the truth with compassion. Paul says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
He's talking about the, the need to speak the truth in love. And I don't know if it could be put, uh, I, don't, I don't think you could put it better and more concisely to, just to say, speak the truth in love. But Paul has this picture in his head. He's imagining that if we speak the truth to one another in love, it will help us grow up to be mature Christians. I think that's something to consider, something really important. Just 10 verses later, Paul says, So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. So he's definitely saying here to not lie to your neighbors. But I think more than just not lie... I think Paul is uh, asserting here that it's important that we tell the truth to one another. That we only, He almost says it like we owe it to one another because we are all part of the same body. Remember, he's writing a letter to a church. So he's saying we owe it to one another to be able to speak the truth, to speak honestly. That's, that's part of uh, our relationship uh, begs that we do that. I think that's what Paul's saying. And then just a few verses after that, let no evil talk come out of your mouths. But only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. I just think, again, he focuses on what our words do to one another. It's interesting to think that uh, he basically says, consider, are your words useful for building people up? Now, that would be a fascinating thought experiment for, for us to go through our day and imagine, is everything I'm saying today, is it being said so it can build people up? Or am I saying it to build myself up? Or am I saying it to tear people down? Or do I just not care? And, and then the end of this, to, to give grace to those who hear. Uh, we're called to have our words be a way that we share God's grace with people. And so what we say matters. What we say matters a whole lot. Uh, and that's you know, a big part of the heart principles, the way I see it, is the heart principles basically says, as Christians, we have to be transformed in how we relate to one another. Uh, these verses just told us that we really need to be transformed in the way we talk. And this last heart principle, uh, it, it's saying that we have to be transformed not just in how we relate, not just in how we talk, but how we bring up uncomfortable things with one another. We have to be able to do that in a way that is Christ-like. Now, I think many of us struggle with this. I, I struggle with this, but I think many of us struggle with conflict, confrontation, we don't like that. And, and I think there's some, some, some primary pitfalls. So, so the two primary ones, struggling with conflict, I think, number one, there's many of us are unwilling to confront people. Now, we might do this for a variety of reasons. Maybe we just don't like to argue, and we're always afraid that if we confront someone, they're going to argue back, and then it's going to be a fight um, maybe some of us, though, have this image that as Christians, we're supposed to be loving people, and we translate that in our heads to mean we have to be nice to everybody, which means don't say anything that would offend anyone, and heaven forbid, don't judge anyone. If you critique someone, that's the same as judging, and so I just shouldn't bring this up. I should just forgive them and let it go, and, and that's what a good Christian would do, right? That actually, that, that actually leads to more problems, the way I see it. When we don't bring up conflict that needs to get brought up, if someone has done something wrong to me and I don't bring it up and I just choose in my head, ah, I don't want to make a big deal, I'm going to just try to let it go. What happens is that conflict stays under the surface, but it doesn't go away. 
it boils and it festers and it turns into something that is far more harmful for the relationship than the original conversation would have been. I think it can lead to uh, behavior like gossip. So we might choose to tell other people about the things that someone did wrong instead of just talking to the person directly, right? We might even choose to triangle someone, which is like where you tell someone else who might happen to tell that person in hopes that maybe the problem will resolve itself, right? Or maybe in our attempts to push things down, we, we might just decide, no, I'm just going to try to act normal. But often what happens is we end up uh, having some passive-aggressive kind of interactions with people because there really is something that we're frustrated at. We're just not acknowledging it. And so, so, you know, one of the big pitfalls right here uh, obviously does not lead to healthy relationships, but many of us do this. We're unwilling to confront people. And here's the other big pit, pitfall. I think, I think there's some people that are unwilling to confront people compassionately. I'm sure you all have a friend who, or maybe it's you, if it's you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure you all know somebody who loves to argue and they love to tell the truth. They love to tell it like it is. Uh, I actually, I was in a small group earlier in the week, and uh, we, our, our question for everybody to go around the circle and get to know each other is, what makes you feel fully alive? And one person said, a good argument. <laughs> and I happened to know the person really well, and I thought, oh man, I am so not surprised. Uh, and... I think with people like that, I'm so thankful that there's people that will say what they think. I, I love my friends that will really tell me what they think. But sometimes they struggle to do that compassionately, right? And, and if we're not careful, I mean, I've heard people say things like, well, I was just telling the truth. Well, okay, maybe you were. Uh, but, but the way we say things matters. It's not just what we say, it's the way we say it. So, so we're really doing it compassionately well, we're going to get into that, but these are like the two pitfalls that I see, the two places that we struggle. Thankfully, Jesus has some helpful instruction for us. And so I want to look at Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says this to his disciples. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Notice how the goal in all this is to regain the relationship. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to, to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So it's kind of interesting. Jesus really has... Uh, given us some specific instruction on how to deal with conflict, especially when one person has wronged you. What do, what do you do about it? Uh, and, and I think, you know, I think you can take some general principles out of this, but I think applying it would, would maybe look a little bit different in every context. So I, I'm not, I don't think this is a formula Jesus is giving as much as he is trying to teach his disciples in their time. And through that, we're able to be taught in our time, what does it look like to handle conflict with one another? What, is that, what does that look like? So the first thing Jesus says, he says that we have to go to the other person, right? He doesn't say go and tell the pastor right away so the pastor can whip him into shape. Uh, he doesn't say to just forgive and forget and never bring it up. He says go to the other person and bring it up. And the hope, I think, and what Jesus is hoping 
uh, he says it right there, uh, that you could regain that one. The hope is the relationship could be restored. It's not to tell the person that they're wrong so you can prove a point. Uh, it's not to one-up someone. It's so that you can restore the relationship. And then, you know, if that doesn't work, Jesus has a process here that worked in that society. And I think for us, what that might look like is it maybe you need a mediator. If it's a friendship or a relationship that's really that valuable, that really you can't stand to lose that relationship, there are ways to, to have uh, third parties, you know, maybe a family member or maybe a friend, maybe a Sunday school leader or something like that. Come in and help two people figure out how, how are we going to get to an agreement? It's interesting at the end, he says, let a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You know, I don't think Jesus is telling people that if someone doesn't respond to your intervention, then you should shun them forever. And, and this has been interpreted that way by, by, by plenty of, of people over, over the centuries. I think actually what Jesus is saying, you know, if you look at the way he treated Gentiles and tax collectors, Jesus went and spent time with them. He lowered his expectation. He focused on loving them and being gracious to them in hopes that a relationship could be restored. And I, and I think that's what Jesus is saying, is if someone's unwilling to listen to feedback that's really important, if they're not willing to hear ways that maybe they've hurt you and you want to see some behavior change, it, don't, you don't have to cut them off. It means you might need to lower your expectation. It means you probably need to continue to pursue them at, at least to some extent and be open to sharing love with them, to sharing God's grace with them. And, and so I, I think that's interesting that Jesus' goal here is really that the conflict would be resolved, uh, but he knows sometimes it might change the way the relationship works. That, that happens. So, you know, we're going through the heart principles, and uh, throughout this series, we've been reminding you that this is from a partners in ministry training that we've done here at Bethany before. Really, it's meant for a workshop, and I have very fond memories of when I did this training, uh, Claire Thomas and Mary Richter were my partners, and we got to practice confronting one another. Uh, one person would confront another person, and the third, par the third person would provide feedback on how did that go, what could you do better, uh, I think practicing really was a valuable thing. So don't worry, I'm not going to make you turn and practice confronting anyone right now. I, I do want to run through some of the, the valuable steps of confrontation. Uh, because I think uh, seeing these steps can kind of demystify it a little bit. Some of us grew up in homes where we didn't see healthy confrontation. Uh, and we carry that stuff with us into adulthood. And so I think part of what all of us need is a, a picture of what it looks like to be healthy. Uh, even a con confrontation that can be healthy. Um, but it, it also can be a useful framework so that you can use that in your life. So I'm going to go through this pretty quick. It's not the same as going to the workshop, but here's some of the steps for confronting team members with firmness and compassion. This can be something for using with a family member, a friend, someone in your church or your workplace. Uh, it could be used in a variety of contexts. The first part is that we have to know when to confront people. So you're, you're going to want to know, you know, if something is recurring and it keeps happening, that's probably a good sign that having a conversation about that would be helpful. Uh, if there's a relationship in your life uh, with someone that you're unwilling to let go of that relationship, that's always a good sign that it's worth confronting someone in order to restore the relationship. Uh, when, you're, when you're trying to figure out, should I confront or not, you also have to look at your own heart, though. And you have to ask yourself, what's my motive? Do I want to have this conversation so I can prove someone else wrong? 
Oh, that feels so good sometimes, doesn't it? Or am I having this conversation because I really love this person and I, I really want the relationship to be restored? But once you've discerned that it's actually a good idea to, to bring something up with someone, then you ask for time. So this is not a, uh, you know, Jim walks by me and I'm like, oh, by the way, Jim, when you said that, it really offended me. You're a bad person. I got to go. Bye. No, this is like a, if, if Jim and I were talking, you get to be my guinea pig. And I would say, hey, Jim, can we schedule some time? I had some stuff I wanted to talk to you about. And we would schedule some time and we'd make sure we had plenty of time to actually have a conversation. That's really important. The third step is to set the climate. Setting the climate, uh, there's really two things here. The first is to state your intentions. So I might say, Jim, the reason I've wanted us to talk is uh, I I wanted to bring something up that that I think is really important for our friendship that we discuss this. In addition to saying your intentions, though, you might say, if, 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 if you're nervous, I think just come out and say it. I might say, hey, uh, so, and Jim, I'm kind of nervous. I, I, I feel awkward bringing this up, and I, 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 I am hoping this doesn't upset you. That's okay to say. If that's what you're feeling, uh, you could say that to begin a, that conversation. Uh, what it does, it sets the climate that it's going to be an important conversation, but if you can do that in a way where you're letting them know that uh, you really want good to come out of it, that, that's very important. Okay, four is state your case. This doesn't mean get your lawyer hat on. (laughs) State your case. You basically, you want to be able to say, what was the behavior that happened? What was the effect of the behavior? And if there's any part in it that you need to own, you you might start by just acknowledging that. So I might say, so Jim, when you critiqued my sermon a few weeks ago, it, it, he didn't really critique my sermon. I'm just picking on Jim here. It, it really made me feel down on myself. Uh, some of the words you used brought up some things from my past. And um, now I know I used you as an example in the sermon. So you had every reason to be frustrated. But uh, and so you, you start the conversation. Uh, and then after you state your case, you say what it is that happened, how that affected you. Uh, then, then you get to listen. This, this is, I think, this is probably where things don't go very well. Uh, and I think it's easy for us to tell someone what happened that, you know, when they did something wrong. I think it's a lot harder for us to listen and patiently hear someone else start to process that. Uh, that could easily turn into an argument. But, but the way that you can diffuse that is don't argue back. Just listen. And you can even use active listening where you say, oh, so it, it seems like you feel misunderstood. Oh, it seems, Jim, like you never wanted to be an, an, an example in my sermon, like that kind of thing. Um, and if you listen, what you do is you allow processing to begin to happen. Uh, you don't have to be right, so you don't have to go and correct anyone. Uh, you just get to listen and let them be a part of that conversation. Uh, once you've listened for a while, it'll move into a place where you begin to negotiate. And the negotiate, again, it's not a see how much you can get. You're negotiating to see how can we preserve the relationship so that this same thing doesn't happen again. As you close, you, you reach an agreement. And reaching an agreement, uh, it, it looks like both people understanding what happened and what is going to be done next time. And you, and you actually repeat that and say that out loud. You say, so... 
it sounds like uh, next time this happens, you're going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And if the person says, no, that's not at all, well, then you didn't reach agreement yet. Uh, the goal, though, is that you would work that out together. That's what, that's what a healthy relationship allows. Um, it also, it doesn't hurt for there to be a, uh, a thankfulness in there. Some of the best confrontations I've been a part of uh, here at Bethany have been with coworkers and friends where something had to get brought up, either I brought it up or someone else brought it up, uh, and at the end of that conversation, there is a certain amount of satisfaction because we're able to say, thank you so much for being willing to, to tell me what you really think, or thank you so much for letting me bring that feedback to you. This is one of the reasons I love being in the same church with you. And, and that, that reinforces that this was a good thing. This is not the end of a relationship. Actually, it, it strengthens the relationship if we do it well. You know, I, I had this moment in my life when I realized that confronting someone uh, was hard and having hard conversations I didn't like. What I realized is that the people in our lives that we love the most and that we're closest with are probably the people we're going to have these conversations with the most. And I think I was in my younger 20s when I realized that, probably looking ahead at marriage and thinking, oh my gosh, so you mean the person I'm going to fight with the most is going to be the person that I love the most and pledge my life to? And, and, and you know what? That didn't sit well for a while, but at this point, what I can say is, uh, I think confrontation in a relationship, being able to work through conflict, is not the sign of an unhealthy relationship. That's the sign of a really healthy relationship. A few years ago, uh, our pastoral team started reading through a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, it helped us develop our core vision for Bethany. Uh, and in the beginning of that book, it talked about healthy teams. We did a team-building exercise uh, with Tom. I, I think Pastor David was here at that point, Pastor Wynn, Pastor Sherry, me, and Pastor Jessica. The exercise was, was a team and trust-building exercise where one person would sit in the middle, and Tom went first, and everyone would go around and they would say one piece of feedback where they thought that person would, that the team would benefit if that person grew in a particular way. So basically, where do I think you need to grow? And then, and then after that one, uh, we all went around and said, uh, what unique gifts and contributions do you bring to the team that we are thankful for? And every person got to sit in the hot seat and every person got to provide feedback to everyone else. Now, that was a terrifying experience to go into. Uh, I, I didn't want to critique my boss and people that I love and respect. I also didn't want to sit in that seat and have people tell me what they think. What I found, though, is that that kind of openness, uh, it confirmed some things. You know, multiple people told me I, they thought I needed to grow in the same thing. And, and that, that really left an impact on me in a good way. And I knew they loved me and cared for me, but I also knew I really needed to, to start working on this other stuff. What I think it did, though, it opened up the future for, for deeper conversations and deeper trusting relationships. And ultimately, I think that's what confrontation can do if done right. If we really tell each other the truth with compassion, I think we can help each other grow, and I think our relationships will grow, too. So as we close today, I want to ask you, is there a relationship in your life where you might need to be more willing to confront someone?
not because you want to be right or you just want to argue, but because you want the relationship to grow. And is there a place in your life where you need to be more open to others' feedback for you? Let us pray. God, we love you, and we want to follow you, but we know we need you to come and grow us. Grow us in our relationships. Help us to be aware that we have blind spots and we need other people to speak into our lives. And give us a boldness and a courage to speak truth to others in compassionate ways, Lord, so that our relationships can be healthy, so that things don't stay under the surface and fester, so that we can grow to be more Christ-like. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Send us out this week as we practice all of the heart principles that we could go and be a blessing to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.